How do I know when to be generous? And I know some of you are probably like feeling right now, well, he's talking about generosity and that's generosity. You know, I'm talking about generosity with love and kindness and grace and mercy and truth. But, you know, generosity, a lot of times that's attached to money and he's gonna start talking about money. I don't like it when preachers talk about money. Maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have braved those icy roads this morning to show up here today because he's gonna guilt me into giving more or, He's going to try and fleece the flock. For those of you who have been around, those of you who aren't new, I think you know my heart well enough by now that you caught on when I talk about generosity. It's a generosity in our lifestyle. It's a generosity of spirit. It's a generosity in all areas of our life, not just financial generosity. Generosity has far more to do with the condition of your heart, the way that we love other people, the way that we seek to show others understanding, the way that we give our grace and mercy, the way that we're generous with our time, the way that we're generous to serving others. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you're generous financially, then yes, it may indicate that you are being generous with those things that are even more important, like your love, like your understanding, your grace, your mercy, your time, your service. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25 said, the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. See, a greedy person's lust for more. It makes them disagreeable. It makes them entitled. Greed makes you argumentative, manipulative. Those who are generous are generally more quick to seek to show understanding. They're more uh, generous with being gracious and showing mercy when the opportunity for offense or the opportunity for conflict comes up. People being generous, they're not just monetarily, but generous with the greater things of hope, faith, love, grace, mercy. This is a, it's a concept. It's something that it's actually most of my life, it's been very foreign to me. Most of you have heard this story, I'm sure. Uh, but if I don't tell it at least once a year, my kids get really upset with me. And now that they, uh, they use the app, and so they have been listening to my sermons to go to sleep at night, because uh, Steve, you're not allowed to fall asleep. Uh, they've been listening to my sermons, and they're like, Dad, you got to tell this story so we have it recorded so that we can listen to it all the time. So I told him I would tell it. So you know, most of you know, I grew up in this small town in Alaska, what I thought was in the middle of nowhere until I was put into the foster system. And then I was moved out to rural Alaska to a place that really was like a hundred miles from the middle of nowhere. Uh, after high school, I went to the middle of somewhere. I went to uh, Northern California so that I could play college baseball, not so I could go to school. <laughs> The first night that I was there, I'm walking across the, the college campus with my roommate, and we're getting to know each other. We're right in the middle of this huge, beautiful redwood forest, and all of a sudden, 
In the trees, I see this set of eyes and they're glowing, at, glowing and staring right at me. And I look through the trees and I see 20 sets of eyes glowing, staring at me through the trees. And I get a little bit, it startles me. I'm like, oh, this is kind of creeped out. I'm like, this is, this is a new place. Like, I'm not normally scared being in the woods. I've walked up on bears and moose, but I'm like, I don't know what's in the woods around here. Like, this is different. This is strange. And my, my roommate, uh, he was from the area. He saw I was getting a little bit nervous. He's like, hey, what's wrong? And it's like, Eric, uh, what? what is staring at me in the woods? What are all those eyes glowing in the woods over there? He's like, oh, those are just raccoons, man. And I was like really relieved. I was like, oh, cool. I was like curious. I wanted to, I was like, I want to go in the woods and I want to go check these things out. Like they look all cuddly and fun, you know? And I grew up uh, reading these Ranger Rick magazines and, you know, they always had a raccoon on the cover. I thought raccoons were really cool. And he's like, dude, no, 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 get back over here. Don't go messing with those things. They are nasty. They're mean. They carry diseases. They will scratch you up and they will, like, they will gnaw you up and they're no good. I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, then I encountered one throwing some stuff away in the trash can a couple days later, and it scared the heck out of me. And a, couple, uh, a couple weeks go by, and I kind of am getting used to the stuff that's crawling around through the woods. And I'm sitting on this bench next to the woods. I'm talking on the phone, and something the size of like a small dog goes scurrying through my legs, and I'm shocked, and like honestly, it like scared me a little bit, and I like jumped and I like kicked at it and you know ran away like a little girl. And it's like I want to get as far away from this thing as I possibly can. And after a couple seconds, I like took a deep breath, gathered my composure, see this like creature laying on the ground over by where I was sitting. And it's like, oh, I better go check on it. And I'd go do one of these, like poke at it with my toes and I poke it and it's like, makes this groaning noise. And I'm like, oh, this big, ugly rat looking thing is laying here dying. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Like, I did not think that I had kicked it so hard that I would kill it. I was like, just my, unfortunately, you know, my foot just happened to mortally wound uh, this huge, ugly rodent. <sighs> so being a kid growing up in Alaska, having gone fishing a lot, I was like, well, you know, when you catch a fish and you just smack it on the, on the back of the head, you put it out of its misery, you throw it in the bucket. So that's what I'll do with this big rat. I'll just, you know, I'm like, I don't really care about rats. I don't like rodents, but I was like, it's a living creature. I should just put it out of its misery. So smack it on the back of, it, on the back of the head, put it out of its misery. And I'm like, all right, I'll go in my dorm room, get a garbage bag so I can pick this thing up and throw it in the, throw it in the dumpster. And so I go, I get this garbage bag and I walk out uh, of my dorm room and I see a crowd of my peers gathered around this big nasty rat. And I hear someone cry out, somebody killed crackers. And I immediately realized this is not going to go very well for me. And I came to find out that this was not a rat. It was a possum. 
And then I felt like an imbecile, uh, being a poor, sheltered Alaska kid. I had never seen a possum in my life, but I had heard about them a little bit. And one thing that I knew about possums is when they felt threatened, they play dead. And I realized I just murdered this stupid possum. And to, and to my great misfortune, this particular possum happened to be the dorm unofficial mascot. And I tried to explain the whole situation to my peers, and they didn't want to hear any of it. I was met with just contempt and vile hatred. My fellow students wanted to do nothing but stir up conflict for me for my indiscretion. The next morning, the dorm supervisor was knocking at my door and not greeting me very warmly, told me that later that morning, uh, I had a meeting with the dean of the college and I would likely be getting expelled. Fortunately for me, when I went to meet with the dean, I found favor with him. Uh, it turned out he was a Montana cowboy and he thought my story was just hilarious and was laughing at me for the entire time I was telling him. Uh, but he was generous with his grace towards me. He didn't expel me. Though my peers were never generous uh, with giving me any kind of a second chance and I was uh, ostracized from that point on. The environment that I found myself in at that time in my life, like many others, was a place that was greedy when it came to showing understanding. Greedy when it came to sharing grace and mercy. See, the world creates environments where our generosity is forced from us. The world distorts love and mercy. The world's only generous when it suits them to be generous. See, for the believer, we should find that generosity is actually our joy. But it can be difficult to have joy when being generous and not feel like we need to guard our resources because all too often our giving is coerced from us. And then we see our generosity not being stewarded well. Not everyone we are generous to is actually going to be thankful. Not everyone we are generous to is going to reciprocate the love and kindness. Not everyone is going to steward those resources well. So how do we know when we should be generous? Proverbs Chapter 3, verse 27 and 28 tells us, Do not withhold good from those, from, <clears throat> from those whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. See, the phrasing used here it sure makes it sound like it's a duty. Like we are not to withhold good. That implies that this good is something we are obligated to give to others. But, but how much? How far should that obligation reach? I mean, you can't go anywhere without encountering an opportunity to be generous to just causes. Just this morning, when you walked through the foyer to come in here, you passed several opportunities to be generous. 
We just put up the angel tree yesterday, an opportunity to help families in this area that are in need provide for their children. Our benevolence box has been out there for a few weeks because, you know, the last two weeks of every November, the last two Sundays in November, uh, we ask for the body to give specifically to our church's benevolence fund. And then we had our regular uh, offering time, just the, the regular offering that goes towards just the normal operating costs to keep the lights on and keep the building warm, amongst other things. With all the needs that are set before us, how can, how can we take care of it all? How can we trust who or what to be generous towards? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we can take a few observations away to help with this conundrum. See, Paul here, he's writing the church about a specific benevolence project. And he's writing to them in this section, he's, he's writing to collect money gathered through free will offerings from the Gentile churches. He's writing to get money that would be taken to the impoverished church in Jerusalem. We know that Paul is a good leader. We know that Paul is a leader who has integrity. Leaders who have integrity steward resources with integrity, and they provide opportunities for generosity. See, Paul, he doesn't keep this need a secret. He doesn't know about this need and just put it on the shelf and say, well, I'm just going to pray that someone comes along and fills this need. He puts the need out there to the people who are in his care, and he makes available the opportunity to be generous. He makes the opportunity known to others. But their generosity wasn't coerced. Paul wasn't laying a guilt trip on them. It should be understood that, that generosity is non-compulsory and it's given from the heart. Leaders who steward resources with integrity provide opportunities for generosity that are non-compulsory and given from the heart. You know that in all of the New Testament, all giving is free will giving. All giving is generously given from the heart to the Lord. How generous you are, that's between you and the Lord. It's not coerced. It's voluntarily given. There's no commandment about a percentage that you are supposed to give. It's not 10%. You may have all been taught that you got to pay your tithe every month and give your 10%. I'll say this, in my opinion, 10% is a good, uh, it's a good uh, principle for you to follow. It's a good principle for all of us to follow. It's a, for some people, 10% is just a good place to start. But there's no command that you must give 10% of your income. The Old Testament, there was a command, and it was a taxation. Every year, the Jews had to pay several different tithes, and it was actually over 20%. Every third year, they had to pay a third tithe. If you were a planner, if you, if you stuck a little bit aside all the time to pay that third tithe every year, then you were putting 23% of your income towards taxation. They also had to pay a half shekel tax, 
a temple tax on top of the command that if you were a farmer, you had to leave the, what fell off of your wagon for the poor to gather. You had to leave the, the corners and the edges of your field for the poor to come gather and for, the, for the, the foreigners. So when all is said and done, if you were a, if you were a farmer, if you had a, a farm, you were probably paying 25 to 30% tax every year just so you could fund the national government, which their national government was a theocracy that was run by the priest. But there was no percentage ever given on their free will givings. We should pay our taxes, but when it comes to our generosity, when it comes to giving now, when it comes to our generosity, that's something you decide between you and the Lord. You decide that in your own heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, Paul says, I give my opinion in this matter, for this is your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. What Paul is saying is, I'm not commanding you to give any specific amount. It's completely up to you. Just know this. It is your advantage. It's to your advantage. Paul clearly says, I'm giving you my opinion here. He's not commanding. Generosity is important. Generosity is essential. We are all called to be generous. It's wise. It's appropriate for us to be generous. How generous you are depends on you. It depends on your heart. It depends on your own attitude before the Lord. But we know, Paul tells us, it's to our advantage. Free will giving has always been a voluntary thing. And any leadership that has integrity doesn't compel people to give. There's no compulsion And we know that this isn't always the way it's been done. Resources haven't always been stewarded this way. In the church, even today, there are churches that assign amounts to people and say, you must do this. And they demand that those amounts be paid. And there's strong pressure that people pay, you better pay at least your minimum 10%. And they're demanded to do this. Sometimes they even make them sign a contract. I've seen contracts that churches hand out, say, you pay this. And if you don't, you're going to be disciplined. That's not biblical. There's no integrity in that. That isn't giving people an opportunity to be generous. Believers are to give voluntarily. So then it's to your advantage. It's a question that you have to answer for yourself. And God will respond to your generosity by being generous with you. Our generosity will encourage others to be generous. Generosity creates more generosity. Paul reminds the Corinthians in the second part of verse 10, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. He's saying you were the first to start. When this opportunity first came up, you were the first to give generously. You were the first ones that wanted to jump on the bandwagon and help the church in Jerusalem. 
You had the desire first to do this and it came from your heart. You heard about a need and you wanted to fill it. The Corinthians had a desire to and were the first to start giving into this benevolence fund for the church in Jerusalem. From the beginning, the idea of generosity, it was from the heart. That's how all of our giving is to be done. If it is something that is going to honor the Lord, it's gotta be from your heart. Whenever we get into situations where we're being manipulated, where we're being coerced, intimidated, where we're being commanded to be generous, where amounts and percentages are being laid on us, that lacks character and biblical stewardship. After we've established generosity as non-compulsory, it is important that we see that it should also be faithful. Our generosity should be faithful. Leaders who steward resources with integrity provide opportunities for generosity that are faithful. In verse 11, Paul says, but now finish doing it also so that just as there was the willingness to desire to do it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Paul said, finish what you start. All the good initial intentions of being generous, they don't mean much if you're not gonna follow through. So Paul says it very straightforwardly, now finish doing it. The first to be willing should not be the last to perform. How did the Corinthian church start off wanting to be so generous and then fall off the map? Why did they need this reminder? Maybe there was some natural apathy. Maybe they just got disinterested. Uh, maybe some other issues arose. And it, but it's likely they stopped being interested in giving to Paul's benevolence fund because of the influence that false teachers had on their church. Paul addresses this several times throughout his letters. And one of the things that they possibly were saying about Paul was that he was just in the ministry to make some money. And Paul may be referring to that accusation when in chapter two, he writes that he is not a peddler of God's word. I think because of Paul's uh, integrity, he needed to, to defend himself a little bit there. He's been attacked. Maybe it's why the Corinthians stopped being generous. Maybe, why, maybe that's why they ceased to be faithful. They would be worried that maybe somehow uh, Paul, he's padding his own pockets at their expense. But they now have heard the truth. They've gotten, they've corresponded with Paul. Titus has shown up and given him letters and talked to them on Paul's behalf. And we know from these letters that the relationship has been restored they now have confidence back in Paul. So he's saying, okay, guys, it's time to finish this project. Nothing debilitates people's generosity. Nothing takes the heart out of going all the way from start to finish as the loss of confidence and leadership. When people lose confidence and leadership, they have a very difficult time continuing to be generous. 
whether leadership has failed or not, if the perception is there, it affects the generosity of the people. And that's likely what's going on in Corinth. And I think if it could happen to Paul, it could happen to anyone. A while back, uh, some missionaries that my family supports, they came under some pretty outrageous, uh, slanderous accusations regarding their leadership. And and it sent the whole organization into a very difficult season. Uh, Investigations were launched, uh, relationships were severed, hearts were broken. And during that season, uh, the missionary who had made all of these accusations, they had also recruited a friend of theirs to come and be part of this missions agency the only tie that this new person had was their friend who's now uh, saying all of these negative, mean things about the leadership and about the organization. Once the investigations uh, were completed and the, the, the accusations were found to be without substance, the person making all of these accusations, they left the organization. And their friend, who was brand new, were asked, well, it's understandable. Are you thinking about leaving as well? And their response was actually very miraculous. They said, no, God clearly called me to come here and work for this organization. Not to come here and work with my friend. And now from what I've seen, I don't actually even think that their allegations uh, were true. I don't think that their allegations hold water. But even if they did, I know that God called me here to serve, regardless of whether the accusations are true or not. The Corinthians didn't have good reason to lose confidence in Paul. Paul reminded them, you need to finish what you start." If you believed that it was the will of God when you started, then show your faithfulness to the end. See it through. The end of verse 11 is our next observation. These last three words, Paul says, I want you to complete it by your ability. Literally out of what you have, according to your means. So giving is balanced. Leadership that stewards resources with integrity gives opportunity for generosity that is balanced. Back in verse three, Paul wrote, for the churches in Macedonia, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 12 strengthens the emphasis. It says, for If the willingness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Whatever you have, that's the resource out of which you have to be generous with. You should not go into debt. You should not spend what you do not have. You shouldn't pledge what you do not have. God's not asking for that and he's not expecting that. What God is concerned about is your readiness, your willingness. If the readiness is present, then it's acceptable. God is after the heart. 
God's after the attitude. That's it. Beyond that, it's according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. Even the poor Macedonians who gave according to their ability and beyond their ability, they could still, even if they gave beyond their ability, they could still only give out of what they had. Mark chapter 12, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus, he sits down in the treasury and he's watching all of these people give. And this poor widow comes in and he watches her put in two copper coins. And in verse 43, Jesus calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors of the treasury for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all that she owned, all she had to live on. She put in a whole day's earning. She didn't eat that day. She gave beyond her ability like the Macedonians, but she only gave what she had. And so she probably fasted that day. She had to wait till her next day to get two more copper coins so that she could buy some food. Now, it may be that at times in your life, God puts it on your heart to give like that. Maybe God calls you to give beyond your ability, but not to starve yourself to death. But maybe for a day or a few days, in some way, say no to some luxury. But God is reasonable. He wants us to exercise wisdom. God asks us to give out of what we have. Be generous with what you can be generous with. A few weeks ago, I was called to go and do a welfare check with a friend of mine for this young lady who, she was way out in the middle of the woods, abandoned by some guy who brought her out there in an old broken down RV in what seemed to be to both of us like possibly some kind of a human trafficking situation. So we got her out of there. We, got her, uh, we found her a place to stay down in Palmer for a few nights. I got permission from the, our church's benevolence committee to get her the things that she needed for the next few days. And then a couple days later, Sophie went down to Palmer when all of the different organizations opened up. And she spent two days down there getting this lady uh, connected to all of the different resources that she could need, all of the different things that she could access to help her get on her feet. But the more we got to know this girl, the more of her story we heard, the more she shared with us, the more we encouraged her and prayed with her to make good choices, the more we saw that she was ignoring our counsel and just saying the things to probably get the, th- get the things that she wanted. And we watched her continue to make bad choices. More and more, it seemed like she was quickly going to end up back in a, in a similar bad situation like we found her. And she kept asking for more and more and more from us. And it, and it reached a point where it was no longer within our power to continue to do good for her. It was no longer within our power to be generous to her. To continue to be generous to her would have meant for 
us to have to start denying responsibilities that God had called us to. We would have had to start denying responsibilities to our own family, denying responsibilities to this congregation and to this community. We couldn't continue to do everything for her, but we got her in a place where she could get help. We did what was reasonably within our power to do. And I pray that this is a turning point for her in her life, but I don't know. I think, I hope that we were faithful to fulfill the role that God called us to play. Our generosity, I think, was balanced towards her needs. And we were generous with what we had the power to be generous with. And we can't, not all of us can respond like that to every situation. I know that I can't respond that way to every situation that comes across my path. I've had to say no to similar situations. We aren't all always able to be the one that goes and helps. What we do for one person, we aren't able to do for every person. But sometimes it is within our power to do good. And we should. You could look at that situation and you could analyze it and say, well, well, you could have done this. Why didn't you do this? And you can pass judgment. But I think, I hope, I pray that we did the good that was in our power to do for that situation, for that moment. And I find comfort in knowing that it's not anyone's judgment but the Lord's that I have to answer to. And I know that God judges the disposition of the heart. God judges the attitude of the giver according to the resources that are available, not the resources that are unavailable. When it comes to generosity, there's no place for high pressure. There's no place for manipulation to give more. There's no place for manipulation to give beyond what is in balance. Often we hear about these poor widows and people living on fixed incomes manipulated into giving out of intimidation and guilt, promised healing and prosperity and wealth if they would just give a little bit more. And these people, they give far and away, far beyond what they ever should because they're manipulated to doing so. And that's not biblical. It's not what the Lord calls us to do. Leadership that stewards resources with integrity gives opportunity for generosity that is non-compulsory, given from the heart, faithful and balanced. I love being part of this generous body of Christ because I know that this body is already doing those things. This body is generous. Your generosity has done so much. Your generosity has built this playground out here uh, for not just the kids in our church, but kids in this area and moms in this area to come and have a safe and fun place to take their little ones to play. Your generosity has provided a home for a single mom and her kids. Your generosity every year around the holidays pays for families every year to have food, pays for kids to have presents under the tree. 
Because of your generosity, I was able to pay for, out of the benevolence fund, a plane ticket for a lady to come and be with her mom in her last days. Your generosity, it doesn't just create another resource so people in this community who are have-nots can have another resource to take advantage of. Your generosity is building a faithful testimony here in this community. And it's not just what's being done through the organization of the church body. Because I hear about uh, some of you ladies who offer to pick up and do laundry for other families who don't have the means. I know about the, those of you who take firewood to people in need. And what more shall I say? Because time would fail me if I told about the generosity of those in the church who go and take the trash out for widows who can't do it themselves. For those of you who pull vehicles into your own shop and work on them for free and take up, spend your time doing that because you care, because you love people, because you want to be generous. So thank you, church. Thank you for being faithful and giving and being generous from your heart. Because that is Christ-like. The very act of Jesus coming to this earth, the very act of Jesus leaving the glory of heaven is no small act of generosity in itself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The whole life and ministry of Jesus here on this earth was an act of generosity, sacrificial generosity. Ultimately, Jesus made the ultimate generous sacrifice when he bore our sins on the cross, willingly dying to pay a debt that he didn't owe. So we cannot just be reconciled to the Father, but so that we could continue his work of generosity right here in our day, in our context, in our community. After the resurrection of Jesus, he called his followers to generously share the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then he further empowers us with the Holy Spirit, who is himself the very spirit of generosity. Yesterday I was out, I was talking to a lady who, as far as I know, I don't think she has ever walked through the doors of our church. And I'm pretty sure she's not a believer. But she saw me and she thanked me for what we do in this community, what our church does in this community. And I was actually very, it's taken back a little bit. And she told me how much it meant to her, how much it meant to others in this community that this church body is so generous. She said, I can't. I, she said, I can tell that you guys really love this community. And she said, you know, I don't think it really matters as much as when you do it, but I would just want you to know I've been praying for you. 
And I was like, very uh, excited to hear that. And I started to take the opportunity to share about Jesus with her. And she could tell what was coming and she kindly excused herself and walked away. But that's okay. I could tell she wasn't quite ready to have her heart and her life transformed. But I know that I have a starting place. I know that her heart is softening. And the next time I have the opportunity, I know where I can start a conversation. The faithfulness of this body, it is making an impact. And we can't be opposed to playing the long game. We are, we are out planting seeds and the soil can be hard. Maybe not today, but usually the soil's pretty frozen. We have to be faithful to do the work to till up the ground. We have to be faithful to plant the seed and then cultivate it and water it. And as we are faithful to continue building a testimony of God's goodness here in this community, of God's generosity and love here in Talkeetna, the Lord is going to be faithful to come and reap a harvest. And he will do it in due season as we go today, as we continue, we should all contemplate our own generosity from time to time. We should ask ourselves, how, how is my generosity? Am I generous with my time when I don't feel like I can be? Am I generous with grace and mercy when I don't feel like those around me deserve it? Am I generous financially, even when I don't get to be in control of it? Am I generous with love, especially for the unlovable? Am I generous with the perspective I have on others? Or am I critical of those around me? Am I living a life that is authentically generous? Let's pray. Lord, you are good. You are a generous father in heaven who gives good gifts to his kids. And I pray that you would mark us as a people who are called by your name. Pray, Lord, that we would be marked, that we would be seen to hold a spirit of generosity within us and that your spirit of generosity would pour out onto others as we as we navigate through this life. Father, I pray that you would show us specifically where in our lives we may lack being generous. Where, God, can we further apply the template of Jesus Christ in disciple-making to deny ourselves and take up the cross and follow the example of your son, Jesus Christ, in the area of generosity. Father, I pray that as our body is faithful and being generous inside of and outside of these walls, as our body is faithful to love one another as you have loved us, as you have been generous with us, I pray, Lord, that the world around us would see and experience the generosity of this body, of the body of Christ. I pray that they would be drawn to the generous love and sacrifice of the cross that 
they would be drawn to submitting their lives to you as their Lord and Savior. Father, that their lives will be transformed by the power of your spirit working in them. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the great, mighty, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship.